This is Urban Tiger Radio, a project supported by CybermouseMultimedia.com. Search for Urban Tiger Radio in the iTunes Store or on Stitcher.com and hit the subscribe button to receive free automatic downloads. Please remember to share and rate our show before you leave. Today's podcast centres around Jack Whitten. Now, Jack was a famous footballer back in the 60s and 70s whose career was tragically cut short by injury. For eight or nine years, Jack played football for Sheffield Wednesday, becoming quite famous. He also played for Liverpool and was in the England under-23 squad. Now, I think the main thrust of this podcast is to reveal what it's actually like to be behind the footballer. When we see these people on the television or go down to the ground to watch them as a match, they're stars, superstars, whatever you wish to call them these days, but behind every one of those is a person. Behind Jack Whittam's persona as a footballer is a very decent person, a talented, intelligent, family man, father, husband and breadwinner. Jack says he's never going to be a star. You listen to this and you tell me if you think that's true. Personally, I don't think it is. So, here's Jack Whittam, footballer extraordinaire, the Jamie Vardy of his day in the 60s and 70s. Well, my guest today on Urban Tiger Radio is Jack Whittam. Jack has had a long and interesting career, but the last time I saw Jack was at the Princess Royal Folk Club in Crooks, Sheffield. Now, how often do you appear there, Jack? Well, I used to go a lot, but recently, in, in, in recent uh, years, I've probably been half a dozen times a year. Now, the reason I ask that is because, strangely enough, Jack, you introduced me to the folk scene. Now, you didn't know that at the time, and neither did I particularly, but you used to run a pub called the Wadsley Jack. Whereabouts is that? Just up in the village here. About um, I was there last night. Uh, a, a mate of mine performs there every Tuesday uh, called Dave Frisner, who's a brilliant musician who's playing on my latest album, actually. I'm meeting him tonight in the studio at seven. What happened was I used to go out with a friend of mine who was an electrician that used to work for me, and um, we used to pitch up in your pub on... The folk night when the folk night started, and it was the first place I'd ever been to as a as a folk night, and and it was fantastic. We went quite often there. It was it, is, it was a brilliant folk club. Yeah, every week it was full, and we got some terrific people in uh, in order to play and perform. Really, um, you got a great reputation, you know. Yeah, we, we had some terrific people coming. Yeah, I remember him actually quite vividly. Now. Just to take that back a, a leaf, you also were the landlord of the pub. I was. Weren't you? How long were you landlord at the Bodgesley Jack? At nine years. Nine. What, what prompted you to become a landlord? Well, uh, you probably know my football career finished abruptly uh, when it shouldn't have done through, through injury. And uh, like a lot of players in my era, you had to work afterwards. <laughs> you had to make a living. Yeah. Now, in a previous life, I... Uh, before football I worked for a firm of accountants in Lancashire and if I hadn't taken up football accountancy would have been my career um, pres- 
presumably I'd have gone through all, I'd have, I'd have passed all my exams and everything else, uh, and I'd have been, I'd have been a qualified accountant. If I'd have failed my exams, I'd have been, uh, I don't know, working for a firm of accountants as a, as an accounts clerk, I guess, as I was when I was seventeen. But I changed career and came to Sheffield. But of course, when I finished football, I thought I was married, had a family. Uh, accountants had left me behind because I had to go back to college again and get all my qualifications, uh, to, even to start again. And um, Josie and I were friends with a couple of people who worked in that industry. Um, he had a business supplying the pub trade. Uh, in fact, we went to visit him yesterday. Peter Robinson, unfortunately, is in a home care home now a massive stroke but we were very friendly with them and um, Peter introduced me to a guy called Fred Johnson who owned a pub at Hillsborough called The Travellers yeah I don't know and Fred said to me why don't you and Josie come and train here for six months if you like it put in for your own pub and uh, if you don't like it you're going to have to think long and hard what you're going to do and uh, I could have tried to stay in football, of course, on the coaching side, scouting side, all these. I was a fully qualified FA coach at the time I retired. The trouble was, most of my contemporaries who I knew in the game were still playing. Mm. You know, because I finished at, I finished at 30. Um, and they carried on to the 35 or 6. Putting the clock forward to 2006... When all my the people I knew in the game and were now working on that side of it, then I went back into football full time. Then, and I worked back in football full time from I'd been part time with Sunderland from two thousand from ninety two to two thousand and six. And what were you doing at that I, time? I was I was the, I did match reports for them for for the next opponents. Yeah, and I worked through all Peter Reid's reign there, all Mick McCarthy's, all Howard Wilkinson's reign, and I was there when Roy Keane was there, but I left to go back into the game full-time in 2006. And um, I I worked for Luton Town for a time, but the, the club went, as head of recruitment, the club went bust. And then from a sins, I went to Bramall Lane as head of recruitment for three years. Um, <laughs> the old enemy. Well, people said that to me, but you know, if you're in the game, a job's a job, isn't it? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a bit like playing for one club and playing for another. And... and uh, I'm, I'm, that was very fortunate to have been to, to have played for Wednesday for six years and to have worked for Sheffield United because they're both fantastic clubs. And whatever people said about they, they were the enemy. When I got to know the lads at, at Bramall Lane, uh, Ted Emsley, Lenny Badger, Tony Curry, all these guys. When I got to Alan Hodgkinson, when I got to know them, fantastic guys. You know, you, they weren't the enemy at all, but they were ju- just so happened that. The fans create that, don't they? The, the, yeah. The enemy thing. Yeah. They were terrific lads. Yeah, I have a um, friend who was an absolute staunch Wednesday. I we wind him up unmercifully. Right. So by that you know yeah. that I'm a blade. Okay. So, <laughs> but so uh, so Sheffield's very divided like that. Well, it is. And yeah. so I had the three years at Bramall Lane as head of recruitment, but it wasn't the best of times to be there because there was nothing. I really couldn't bring people in. No money. No money to bring people in. Uh, and uh, anyway, right out of the blue in 2010. I uh, got a phone call from Mick McCarthy. We'd like you to come back to Wolves as European scout. So oh. I did up to 2014 as European scout. And I was still there as European scout when I found out I'd got this, well, unknown heart problem inherited from my dad. And uh, my dad died and they said, we have to scan you. And they scanned me. And you said, you've got a, bicycle, 
a bicuspid aortic valve, which yeah. is going to close up and it's going to cause you the same problem as your dad. I was 68. You're fit as a fiddle, they said. You might as well have it done now. If you wait till you're 73 or 4, which yeah, yeah. you might not make it there. But if you wait till that time, we don't know what the rest of your health's going to be like in five years' time. So we recommend you have it now. So I knew I was going to be done for a year. And so at that point, I uh, I took a year off. Wolves said I could go back any time I wanted, but after the year, I'd... You'd have enough. Yeah, we're crocs as men, aren't we? Well, gallivanting <laughs> around Europe, um, which I was every weekend. My countries were Holland, uh, Belgium, France and Norway, strangely enough, uh, and Denmark. So I was somewhere either every week and every other week, and then I, I was in, in midweek, I was away at international games. I covered every island game in Belfast for four, for three years. That sounds like a very interesting part of your career, actually. Oh, it was. It, it, it must have been totally absorbing. It was, absolutely. And uh, But as you can imagine, um, it's not great for family and for every weekend. No. no uh, so I think... What did I do? Nearly four years. I think I think it was time to uh, to call it a day, and I've not. I, and I didn't go back. Although I, I'm in touch with everybody who ever worked for me or whoever I work for because uh, I met some really good friends. Do you feel that in that four years you made a good contribution to the game? A great contribution? Maybe? Well, I was well. They tell me I'm only going off, but they tell me I was really well thought of by all the scouts who I had working under me. That you know that I was a yeah. good boss, and I I communicated with them. And I, uh, I, I spoke to him every week. I still speak to him. Every one of the scouts that worked for me at Bramall Lane, I still speak to. Did you discover anybody well-known while well, you were doing well, that? there's a lot. Oh, God, a list as long as you have. Anything own. stands out? Oh, honestly. Lads who uh, were recommended when they were 17, 18, all playing in Premiership now. Dozens right, of them. Okay. Uh, and th- since, you know, since 2002, I used to say to my wife, look at that. Me and, me and Chris battling up who was our uh, IT guy at Wolves, were raving about Jack Grealish when he was 15, 16. I used to go every other week and Chris used to go the game, games in between to see this Jack Grealish play at youth level. You know, we, we just used to say a certain, an absolute certain player for Premiership. And now they're talking about him playing for England. And why, why we were telling Wolves that? Because it was in the same area, Aston Villa, and Villa weren't in the Premiership, we were. Wolves were, so obviously we said, listen, we, we, we must be able to get this kid. But what goes on at football clubs is not all about... The scout can only do his job. Yes. I can come back and I can say to... Um, I came back from Amsterdam once and I said to uh, the... Uh, we had a, a brilliant scout at Bramall Lane um, who's been in football all his life called Gil Prescott that lives in, lives in Cheshire. And he was the European scout at Bramall Lane and I, of course, when I was new to it at Bramall Lane, I, I, as the chief scout, I used to go to a few, a few abroad games as well. Well, I'd never heard of some of these players playing abroad <laughs> at that time. They were unknown. But I came back one day when Suarez was playing at Ajax and he was a young kid. And I came back and said, oh, it's an amazing player at Ajax. He said, Suarez. And I said, do you know him? He said, I just forget about him, Jeff. And I said, why forget about him? He says... We're Sheffield United. We can't afford. Yeah. You know, he'll go to Man U, Liverpool. Man, he'll go to one of the big, big clubs. You've got to look below that. So you've got to learn from all this. And then you say, well, this kid is not good enough for Liverpool, Man City, but he'll do a great job for one of 
a mid-table Premiership city. Do you think it's better than that at United now? I think, I don't know how much money they've got at the minute to, to bring people in. When I was there, we had problems, even loan players. We'd go for a loan player and they'd say, well, it's a £150,000 loan fee or this is his wages. And unfortunately at the time that we'd have to well, we can't afford that loan fee and we can't afford those wages. It, it, it looks now as though it's slightly different. He's, they've got some decent players down there now. Which is I, why I asked the question. I have to say, I, I don't know whether, whether that's that other guy came in and took over and or helped Mr McCabe, you know, with his um, with his finance side yeah. of the club and how, how, who they could bring in and who they haven't gone overboard. I'll tell you that because all these players who are playing for the lane now, like Chris Basham and the lad from um, Lundstrom, is it? You know, we'd seen all these when they were seventeen and eighteen, and and I could go and get my lists out now and say, look, this is what this is where we thought this player would play. And people like Basham and Lundstrom and, and, and a lot of these other players at the Bramall Lane now, we had down as top-end championship. We never had down as premiership. But somehow, Chris Wilder has uh, galvanised these lads in a system, a way of playing, a belief, and he's just getting the best out of them, isn't he? He is. I mean, he's amazing. Hand on, hand on heart... Um, I watched Chris Basham from when, when he was a real kid, 16, I think I saw him first saw him. Bolton Wanderers, I think he was at. And I, I said, I don't think he was playing that position then. Uh, uh, but, and I said, you know, he's championship at best. Because I was working at a premiership club maybe then, because uh, Sunderland were in the premiership when I was first looking. And, and all this, and I thought, well, no, 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 you know, not, not premiership. But, He's playing regularly in the Premiership, so is Lundstrom, so some of the other guys, McBurney, all these guys are playing, you know, uh, in, the, in the Premiership. Um, so he's doing a brilliant job. Yeah, he is. I've Fantastic. not heard him say one thing that I disagree with. And I've got a lot of time for him. Come up through the roots, any grassroots, knows the game, knows players, knows people, knows how to handle people. He's a bit like Nick McCarthy, who I get on great with, because they, they, they say it as it is, don't they? There's no... There's no much point, is there? There's no beating around the book. No, no, they say exactly as it is. Yeah. If, if they've been beaten by a better side on this, if they've been beaten by a better side yeah. on there, if they lack a bit of quality, say, well, lack a bit of quality in final third, they'll just tell you exactly, exactly how it is. And I like him. I've got a lot of time for him. Yeah, I wish more people were like that. Mm. Can I can I take you away from football for a minute and just, just go back to the folk club mm. scene? The first time I actually saw you or noticed you, you you were actually playing and singing in right. in the Wadsley Jack. Then when I saw you in the Princess Royal the other week, I realised all those rough edges had been knocked <laughs> off. Mm. Now, that, that's probably down to confidence, would you think? Yeah. I'm not sure. I, I, I just... Um, I'd, I'd not played in folk clubs. Um, and they came. somebody came to me, they wanted to move a folk club from... Uh, somewhere on Penniston Road, I forget where it was, to the Wadsley Jack, just after we'd moved in. And we had a free night in, in, in the back room, which was a Wednesday, because one of the games leagues that we played in had just folded, and it was a Wednesday night. So, you know, we said, yeah, we'll give it a go. And um, they asked me if I played, and I said, well, I played to myself, I write songs, I've been writing songs since I was 17. So I just used to get up and do my spot in the Wesley Jack. I think we only got one each, didn't we? We worked around and he came back yeah. and, and did another one each. So you might get two if it was a quiet night, but it wasn't usually quiet. 
when we sold the pub, 88, 89, I was then able to go to other places to play. Right. I only ever played it, I only ever played it because I was working all the time, you see. So I only ever played in the Jack. Quite out of the blue, I, I played at, uh, I played at a folk club somewhere and there's a guy in the audience that come from Morley in Leeds and he said, can I give you a booking? So he booked me and then from there I got another booking and then I got bookings and bookings and bookings and, uh, and then back in 2012, somebody said, you've got all these songs, why don't you record them? Yeah, I said, what's the point of recording them? They're going to be a superstar at my age, am I? It's, uh, but anyway, we made an album in uh, 2012 and uh, after my heart surgery in 2014, I did a load of gigs all around South Yorkshire, well, and farther afield over in Manchester to raise money for British Heart Foundation. And I, get, I sent all my money from the, 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 what I did to people with that CD, I, I didn't say it was a five or a tenner. On the gigs, I said, give me what you think it's worth. Some people give me 20 quid. Some people give me three quid. Some people give me a five or something. And eventually we, we had 1,500 quid and we sent it up to... Wow, British. that's amazing. So are you, you're going to give me one of these songs now, aren't you? I can do if you Do want. you have a thought for which song you would like to give me? Well, a minute ago, I said I'm never going to be a superstar at my age, do I? You're a slave to its magic You take your old guitar To another town, another place Where they wonder who you are And you sing your heart out every time Every word, every rhyme And when the night draws to its close The crowd, they rise and leave for home Do you get the feeling to no matter how you play or do That father time has it in for you And as you walk towards your car Does it hurt when the thought occurs You'll never be a star You're a fool for the music And the gentle minor chord for the lyric and the storyline And the subtle metaphor And you sing your songs of wrongs and rights Deep into the aging night And when you drive into the dawn Once again all alone Do the doubts kick in and say No matter how you love to play that it's time to call it a day And as you wrestle with your heart Does it hurt when the thought occurs You'll never be a star You'll never be a star There'll be no spotlight on your name No handprint on the sidewalk no magic hall of fame You'll never be a star There'll be no fancy limousine No silken sheets, no caviar No perfect end to dreams You're a slave to its magic And you take your old guitar 
To another town, another place Where they wonder who you are And you sing your heart out every time Every word, every rhyme And when the night draws to its close The crowd they rise and leave for home Do you get the feeling too? No matter how you play or do That father time has it in for you And as you walk towards your car Does it hurt when the thought occurs You'll never be a star Does it hurt when the thought occurs You'll never be a star Thanks, Jack, for that song. You'll never be a star. Well, I happen to think you've been a star in various walks of life. Um, tell me something about your playing career, your football career. Where did you begin? Professionally, I, got, I began at Sheffield Wednesday, uh, but I'd been with Burnley right since being a kid. I, uh, I, was, play, I was training twice a week with Burnley. Um, in the, when I got to 14, 15, I was playing in the youth teams. Um, I got to 16 and... This was the time that apprenticeships were in football and uh, I was fully expecting Burnley to offer me apprenticeship. And it didn't seem to get any near and they just kept me to hang, hang on, you know, hang on, well, we're getting round to it, we definitely wanted to stay. And uh, but, That's a song we've all heard. That's right. Yeah. I'd started work with this firm of accountants I, men I mentioned earlier, a firm called Rawlinson, Hargreaves, Smith & Wood, who were, uh, had an office in Burnley, an office in Manchester, and I worked for the Manchester staff travelling around the country doing audits. Out of the blue one morning, my mum says, there's a letter here for you. Um, got a Sheffield Wednesday stamp on the top corner. Opened the letter. They'd uh, want to be good for a trial. Could I get a month off? <sighs> Can't get a month off from work. It's absolutely impossible. So I went to see my my boss and uh, any chance of me getting a couple of weeks off to go for a trial at Sheffield Wednesday? And he said, mm, he was a bit of a grumpy old sob, he said, he said yes eventually. And um, I came over to Sheffield Wednesday and I, I did the trial and uh, they told me after a week that they wanted to give me a professional contract. Uh, I, had wow. a really, I had a really good week, in yeah. fact. They uh, played in a couple of... Um, practice matches against what was then the current first team and what they did is they mixed the reserves up with the first team they played the reserve team forward line against the first team defence and vice versa and then they swap them round and uh, had a really good week got five goals in two practice games and uh, uh, they offered me a contract at the end of the week mainly I think because I was really quick I was an 100 metre schoolboy champion yeah well you, you've got the statue I mean you, you, you're quite tall people that don't yeah. know you how, how tall are you well I, I'm 5 foot 11 and a half but my wife said I shrunk a bit as I've got old <laughs> but yeah no I was really really quick well you're a bit uh, like a greyhound so and, you're... I could, and I could run in behind I was, to be fair I was a bit like Jamie Vardy I wasn't a real target man I, was, I wasn't great up to feet I wasn't nobody hit me from long balls from the back I played off people like Richie and Warboys and I ran in behind and when I got in behind, nobody could catch me. All, all it was then was could I finish. And my, really, my only two strengths in football were I was quick and I could finish. <laughs> yeah, well, there's quite a few teams could do with that combination at the moment. Right, well, people don't like running in behind anymore. That's why Vardy does so well, I think. Yeah, Which, well, you can't take him in isolation because there's no, no. always someone feeding him. That's, that's right. That's, that's... 
So you got a job at Wednesday then, professionally? No, How old were you then? November 64. Three weeks before my 18th birthday. And on my 18th birthday, I signed professional forms. Amazing, isn't it? What an 18th birthday present, huh? Well, uh, you can't, I don't think you can sign professional... Uh, no, I know, but I'm just old. Just bang so on 18, yeah. 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 So I was down there and then they called me in and not a lot of money those in those days, it wasn't. <laughs> uh, no, this is true. I mean, wages in football have increased exponentially. I mean, that's... Uh, do you, do you think Sky it's... got involved with Premier League. Yeah, yeah. Do you think it's gone beyond a joke? Uh, it's hard to say. You know, if somebody said to me, I'll give you 200 grand a week, I'd have took it, so... Yes, of course you would. Yeah, I mean, and you, if you look at American football, probably earn even more than that. American basketball yeah. players, actors... Yeah, singers. How much? How much has Ed Sheeran made? Ah, uh, you yeah. know what I mean. Uh, and uh, he was just a busker like the rest of us, really. But yeah. uh, you know, took a punt, wanted to make it. You know, I never tried to make a living in music. It, 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 people come to me, she should be doing something with your songs. Should be doing something with your songs. And I've had, I've had loads of offers. A couple of bands in the sixties, a bands in the seventies. I uh, in Liverpool because I used to go. I used to sing on Radio Liverpool. Um, record some songs in the studio, put them out one song a week for about a month people came for me songs guy in London said he was a record producer wanted to produce some wanted to change the chorus a bit I said hey I've written it like that I don't want to change it so but you know if I, I, had a, I had a career in football then I was a licensee and I my brother was a professional musician all his life and I never saw any security in it at all you know it was uh, you might have three or four good years okay if you have br five brilliant years and you make ten million brilliant yeah but what happens if you don't well the career trajectory is similar in football absolutely isn't it? I mean 35 and you're gone aren't you I absolutely mean, you, you, you sat there with Gary Lineker and I didn't want to know the pundit and even if I'd have been good enough which I, I don't know other people have to judge that um, even if I'd been good enough to make these, these records and get the songs pushed and everything like that I'm not sure I'd have wanted another precarious career. Uh, but there's a lot more depth to your songwriting and singing career than I ever realised. I, I mean, I didn't know about the uh, uh, the, the earlier career with uh, offers in from song producers. And well, I did a song about it last week at Crooks um, called I Couldn't Let Them Harm My Songs That Way. Ah, well, yeah, that's okay. It's, uh, yeah. Because people wanted to do things to yeah. Nice sense of pride. I like that. Mm. I respect that. Mm. You know, I mean, I, I write and people say to me, well, I think if you shifted it this way around and changed that or whatever, and I'm thinking, it's not mine anymore, is That's it? Right. And, that, and that must be how you feel. So tell me how your career as a professional footballer came to a crashing end then. Well, I just got in England under 23 team in 1969. And then... Alf Ramsey picked me for a football league side to go to um, play in the Guernsey 100th anniversary. And as I was on a really good se season, 68, 69, 70. And then Liverpool come, Liverpool come along and offered Wednesday 60,000 and Wednesday took it. Now, you didn't seem to have a lot of choice in those days. If the, if the club were going to sell you, they were going to sell you. And if you wanted to leave and they didn't want you to leave, you were going to stay because they had the... Um, they had the extra year on your contract that they could hold you to. So I went in one day to Sheffield Wednesday and they called me in one afternoon and uh, I think it was Fred Scott, who was chief scout that there, was waiting in the corridor and he says, where do you want to go, Jack? I says, go? Why? So they're selling you. 
Oh, I said, I'm getting married next month. I was just buying Don Megson's house up Butler Road in Stannington. I said, I don't want to go anywhere. He'll have to go, Jack. They'll sell you to somebody, he said. Anyway, when I went in, there were two bids, evidently. Sunderland and Liverpool. Well, it was a no-brainer, wasn't it? For me at the time, I thought, well, some Liverpool, top clubs at country, Bill Shankly. So I went to Liverpool and um, I had four years at Liverpool, but one day I ruptured my knee ligaments against Everton. They didn't know I'd ruptured. My knee. Medical side wasn't like it was now. They didn't know I'd ruptured knee ligaments. Thought I'd twist a mini or something. Six weeks later, I had to go to a behind Liverpool's back actually because they hadn't sent me to anybody, not even the doctor. I went privately to an American surgeon who dealt in American football injuries. And he looked at my leg and he examined me and he did the tests and he said, ruptured your ligaments, son. You're in, you're in serious trouble because this should have been operated on weeks. Sounds a bit like my shoulder. Yeah, weeks yeah. and weeks ago. So if you rupture your ligaments, they start to die off. You got to, You need instant surgery. But anyway, so that was me. I never got back into the team at Liverpool. So uh, how did it actually happen? Was it a tackle? Or no, I just, just I, I fell out of the air after going for a header. Landed on landed on my knees, yeah. And as I pushed myself up from the floor, it Mi- just went. Mickey Lyons landed on my heel. Oh right! And I just pulled my leg apart. Anyway, I had the surgery. I had my knee. I think they've repaired it with carbon fibre. I'm not hundred percent sure, but I've had it repaired, and it was fine. But Liverpool tried to talk me into uh, retiring at that time, whether they thought. The, the compensation would come in and all this sort of thing, yeah. I don't know. But I didn't want to retire. Um, I thought I was okay. So I went to Cardiff City for two years. Cardiff City, they again said, well, I had to sign in my contract that if my knee went... You, you went. I wouldn't hold them to the, the contract, yeah. yeah. I'd only hold them to, did it say six weeks or, or, or three months? Can't remember. So that was fine. And then I finished, I had one season at Reading when we won promotion to the next league up yeah. at Reading and uh, but I really apart from one hat trick at Reading I didn't do myself any favours there because I'd only ever I'd played for 10 years at the top level from 64 to 74 and I found going back down to the fourth division that if tackles were going in I couldn't believe and there were it was a bit I was playing in a game at, for Reading where the papers in the morning said Reading go top of league in night of violence, and it was ooh, it was horrendous. Was it all a bit kick and rush? It wasn't, my friend. With, with well, no, we had some great no players. Plan. We had a great player at, at uh, Reading at, called Robin Friday, who was brilliant, beyond belief, brilliant. The book about him called The Greatest Play You've Never Seen. And um, But in the main, the league itself, I don't, we didn't play that at Reading. Charlie Early had some nice players who could pass it about and you know, get it up to Robin's feet and play off him and all this sort of thing. In the main, that league was back to front, yeah. you know, and you were fighting and challenging for balls and uh, what my scene. Can I ask something you're pertinent that I don't understand? What is it that actually turns a team? Because, I, like you've mentioned about Chris Wilder earlier on, he's uh, imbued United with a sense of self-belief mm. and... Uh, and organisation. And, and organisation. I mean, I've seen teams full of individuals, but they're not a team. Is it the manager 
or is it the willingness to be a part of a team? Or, or do it? I mean, you can have a, well, a team full of divas, can't you? You can. And, it's both. Yeah. I mean, a manager can say, "I can't have any mavericks in my side," yeah. because if you're a maverick and we're in trouble and we're battling and we're scrapping for our lives every week, it's a scrap. You need to make yourself really hard to beat. You've got to have everybody pulling the same way. Yeah. My mate Ian Bramford got vilified at Southampton because he used to leave Matt Letizier out of the side. Now, if you're top six and playing out of your skin, there's nobody better than Matt Letizier. He's absolutely brilliant. But Branny decided, because they were battling relegation, he had to have 11 players on that pitch that would make them difficult to beat. Yeah. And he couldn't accommodate Matt now, Matt will never forgive him. Brandy thinks he had no choice. But of course, at Southampton, Matt was the superstar and the crowd never forgive Brandy for it. So, but a manager can say, look, I need everybody pulling. You might be a great player, son, but you've got to track back. You've got to get back in here when I need you. You know, you've got... And I think Chris is like that because he's come up through grassroots anywhere. Yeah. Everybody had to do that. If you're doing really well... Managers will look and say, like, you know, we can carry a Maverick, he'll give us something you'll never, you know, you'll never get from anybody else. But the player's got to be willing to do it, hasn't he? You know, he has. Well, thanks for that insight. I mean, I, externally, it looks as though the manager makes a difference. I mean, you, a club swaps managers and all of a sudden everybody starts playing together. And, you well, there's a, 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 a theory in the game, you finish where your budget is. In, yeah. In yeah. reality... That's not that's not true of United at the moment. Absolutely not. In re- generally, yeah, yeah. in the main, that's been true over the years. Then you get things like Leicester City winning the Premiership. Yeah. Yeah. And then you've got what Chris Wilder's achieving at Sheffield United because punching above the weight, they absolutely certainly are. Yeah. And, uh, and, and long may it continue, and I think he can do that. And I'll tell you what else I like about him. He can see when to change a game and when to, you know, when he needs to play with uh, two number nine, two number ten, when when he needs to change the shape to get at teams, you yeah. know, depending on the state of the game. When I was manager at Hallam, they used to say to me, uh, <laughs> the chairman used to say to me at board meetings on a Monday night, how often can you keep changing the game and getting a result after we're not doing well at half time? So I thought that was my job. <laughs> you know, I've got to be able to see what's going wrong. Yeah. And I've got a bill to put it right. Yeah, I've I've watched him uh, on the touchline on on the TV. I admit I don't go anymore, but I've watched him on the touchline on the TV, and he's he's actively engaged the whole time. Yeah. But you get some of the others that seem to strut about and pose mm. and mm. try to look thoughtful, yeah, well, try to look determined. Well, but yeah, he's, 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 he's <laughs> every bit of his body is moving. You see he? that? I look at some eyes. I think well, he's he's doing that for cameras because he's yeah. he's, he's trying to look yeah. as though he's thinking, but. You, that that is not Chris Wilder. He's looking at the game. He's thinking, yeah. right? How do we need to get this sorted? And you know, when you've coached at low level and even non-league, and uh, you've got to be like that all the time. You've got to be yeah. looking at the game and saying, do we need to change change this? And you know, you know, very quickly I realised that Alan, we had to go to a back three uh, with a sweeper picking up the bits because my two centre backs weren't. I just realised that we hadn't anticipated the rain. No, it's really. beautiful but afternoon. Mind. Beautiful afternoon when you can. Yeah, ne- never mind. We can cope with a bit of rain on the broadcast. But one of the things that you said to me, uh, your next song is uh, one that you're absolutely proud of, and that's just another song. 
which actually ties in a little bit with the managers because when, when they go in the dressing room at half time and, and have a real bash at their players it's not just another song it's, it's very very pointed <laughs> I would absolutely. imagine and things get thrown around sometimes oh you get things thrown um, in yeah. dressing rooms yeah. yeah so uh, here you are Jack with just another song just another song you might not believe it but it's just another song words just plucked from somewhere and then placed where they belong just another song tonight it's just another song though i really mean it as with each and every one of those that came before it but as each one came along It was just another song to write A song to sing A song for you A song to make you smile Or break a heart in two A song to hear A song to play a song to keep forever or a song to throw away Just another song today Floating in my head when I should be sleeping, there's just words and tunes instead Hiding in the shadows as they drift around my bed Floating in my head in rhyme A song to sing, a song for you a song to make you smile Or break a heart in two A song to hear A song to play A song to keep forever Or a song to throw away Just another song Just another song You might not believe it But it's just another song Words just look from somewhere And place where they I wrote a love song. Yeah. There are a lot of people. And the, the just another song is about the love song. Uh, no. And people said that must be a favourite song. And I said, no, it's just another song. Because right. I can't pick a favourite song of my I really can't. Yeah, right. It I depends on your mood. If you wanted yeah. me to talk about a social comment song, then 
I love my song called They Never Told You about the poster campaign of the First World War to get people yeah. uh, to sign up. If you talk about love songs, then I've got several love songs that are my favourites. If you talk about funny songs, I've got a load of funny yeah. songs. My probably my favourite is Christmas Just Gives Me The Hunt because that's yeah. just a family thing. When I do a gigs, I try and mix them up, obviously. I'll put a couple of funny songs in, I'll put, a, uh, I'll put several love songs in, but then there's songs about um, th social comment songs like that uh, that I've got many of. Is there an aspect of your life that you'd like to talk about that you haven't yet? No, I've had a very interesting life, I think, in, in yeah, a way. I mean, I, I, I always wanted to be a professional footballer and yeah. could have turned out a lot better in the end because I had aspirations of playing for England when I went to Liverpool. I'd already broken into you know, yeah. the, the under-23 side and half around this football league side and so because of the injury, things went pear-shaped at Liverpool. So that didn't pan yeah. out exactly, but life doesn't pan out as you expected. No, it it's does. no good looking back and thinking, if only this and if only, if only that. You know, I'm married to a wonderful woman for 50 years this year and we've had a, we've got great kids and we've had, a, we've had a decent life. I enjoyed everything about it. How fulfilled do you feel the rest of your life has been, Jeff? My football career wasn't fulfilled because I expected more of myself. When I started, I didn't have aspirations to be an international. I just wanted to be a professional footballer. But once I'd broken into the under-23 side and Alf Ramsey's football league side, the next step when I went to Liverpool was to cement the players in the Liverpool side and to play for England. And of course, because of the injuries, that didn't happen. Yeah, but when you consider what actually did happen within that career mm. and the positions you attained and some of the clubs you played for mm. um, there is a great degree of fulfilment in that maybe not ultimately but they do say that we all live in hope and die in disappointment well so, that's true I, uh, I suppose once you're a professional footballer you want to be you want to get your league championship medal in your well, you want to play for England in the World Cup um, you know it just shows how life changes I I um, my very first tour abroad with Liverpool, I shared a room with Kevin Keegan for a fortnight. And um, What was Kevin like? Terrific. Terrific kid. I can imagine him being a good laugh. Absolutely correct. Good laugh. Andy McDuff used to call him, but brilliant kid. And deserved all he got. Terrific player, terrific work ethic. Um, I just got on with him fantastically well. Can you, do you know why he didn't quite cut it as a manager? I have, I have no idea, really. Um, It'll be no worse than any of the others. He just, I don't know, he did okay at Newcastle at the time. They nearly yeah. won the Premiership, didn't he? Maybe he became disillusioned with it, or I don't, I can't answer that. There's a lot of good lads that set off in the management and didn't do so well in the first job and they got sacked and never got another job. And then there's people like Alec Ferguson who nearly got the sack in his first period at Manchester United and they just didn't sack him and look what happened after that. Yeah. I'd like to take you on to your family, if that's okay with you, Jack. Yeah. Because um, you're very much a family man. I can see from the portrait on the uh, on the wall there. Yeah, that's the my picture girls, on the yeah. wall, yeah. And stunning. All they of are, you. both of them. All of you. Never mind, just the girls, all of you. So, losing football, mm. although I know you were travelling Europe mm. uh, as a scout, but, mm. but losing football, did that bring you back to your family? Did it make it closer? No, we've always been close. Um, uh, when we took the pub, of course, sometimes you can be too close. You're living in, you're living in each other's pocket every day, non-stop. You know yeah. what I mean? But no, we got, we were fine with that. 
then when I went back into football full time in 2006 because you know I went to when I sold the pub in 88 I went to the um, Niagara Leisure Centre as general manager yeah so I was full time there as well as working for Sunderland part time uh, and I had 18 years down there as general manager of the Niagara Centre always lucky enough to be in a position where we could go away on holiday every summer all, all the lot of us together and oh. um, that was that I think the, the girls some of the girls highlights were the holidays so where was your family from originally? My family from Burnley. I was born in Burnley. I mean, if you go back right to my granddad's, the family they must have come. They worked. They came down from Scotland working on the rail lines. Uh, and uh, but my granddad, as we talked about earlier, won the Victoria Crossing World War One was from Burnley, and my dad and mum were from Burnley. And my brother, who now lives in Thailand, from Burnley, and I moved to Sheffield in '64. And I met Josie in 68, and we got married in 70, and been together ever since. Now, I gather you've written a song, um, about, well, two songs actually, about your grandfather. One I've written two songs about my grandfather. Yeah. One is specifically about him. Uh, and that's called? That's called Ribbons of Clay. been heroes of the earth, my friend, heroes of the skies, heroes in the morning dew, and heroes of the night. There's been heroes old and heroes young, whose lives have only just begun. Lonely men denied by fate, remembered fondly far too late, far too late. been brave men of the seas I know, brave men far from home, brave men who fought side by side, those who stood alone, there's been men whose deeds have been forgotten, heroes but remembered not, statistics in the hall of fame, who bought our freedom just the same, just the same. They remember it still, Tom, as you ran up the hill, Tom. They remember you now, Tom. Did they remember you then? Did they remember you when? What price the medal now? What price the day? What price the glory in your ribbons of clay? There's been men who walk the streets of hope, faces in a crowd, who left behind for all who came, this voice to shout out loud. And now we say they're all good men, should have thought about them when the pawn shops and the welfare halls destroyed their spirits and their souls, and their souls. They remember it still, Tom, as you ran up the hill, Tom. They remember you now, Tom, did they remember you then? Did they remember you when? What price the medal now? What price the day? 
What prize the glory in your ribbons of clay? What prize the glory in your ribbons of clay? What prize the glory in your ribbons of clay? And that's on a that's on a CD that's that will be available commercially? No, that's on the old CD I did in 2012. Yeah, and how would anyone get hold of that? I have none left. We sold out. I had 250 printed. And the only way you can get hold of that now is uh, if I put it in the computer and print them one off. Right, okay. Uh, because this is what some people wanted the other week for the funeral. Yeah. And the only way I could get uh, the song called I Love You um, for this lady who wanted it for her husband's funeral was to print a one off. Right, um, so, so if anybody wanted a copy of that, they could email me at urbantigerradio at yeah. gmail.com yes. and I could, through you, pick some up with a copy. You could, I'd have to just yeah. print them one off. Okay. That, that's, that's just cool. obviously... Um, and that was a, about my grandma because he died in poverty. And uh, since he's died, they've done all sorts of things. They've, made, they've built a school... Well, there's a school in Burnley called the Thomas Whitton Sixth Form. Uh, we went over to Eep two years ago where they unveiled a plaque on the exact spot that he won his Victoria Cross. They've opened a monument in Burnley city centre with a stone and a stone for the other guy who won the, the two people from Burnley yeah. who won Victoria Cross. But as it happened, when he came back from the war, he couldn't get work anyway. He wrote to the council, he wrote to the prime minister, he wrote to the queen, the queen was it the, uh, the king then it would be, when he wrote to, well, he wrote to Buckingham Palace to anybody give him a job, a job and he couldn't get a job and eventually he went looking for work on a bicycle up in Northumberland and he got uh, had a bad accident and died and uh, so I thought well what good I asked my dad you know, they never talked about his Victoria Cross because to them it didn't put food on the table it really meant nothing <coughs> and eventually he had to pawn it so he pawned the Victoria Cross in a gold watch that the council presented him with and then he died in poverty, and the, 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 the and the the Victoria Cross was found many years later, many years later, in a pawn shop, and Burnley Council bought it, and it's in a museum called Townley Hall in Burnley Centre. Right. Uh, so I gather you've been to see that. We've been. I've took the grandkids to see it, yeah. and I thought, well, family were saying, what was the point, you know, of the Victoria Cross? It didn't put food on the table. So the song "Ribbons of Clay" means, you know, it's the ribbons you get from yeah, the Victoria Cross. Yeah. It meant nothing. It was it was clear really because it crumbled. Yeah. And, uh, of course, it's very that, different. Yeah. That's what that song's about. Yeah. And uh, the one I wrote, the other one, is not specifically about Grandad. It's about all the people that went to fight at Passchendaele and the Somme. Um, and it's based on the poster campaign to get people to sign up. Uh, you know. Yeah. They never told you just what it would be like. Your country needs you. They never sold you when they sent you there to fight. They never told you What it would be like They never told you When they sent you there to fight They only told you You'd be home by Christmas time With arms to hold you You'd be home by Christmas time Next year they never told you Of the trenches filled with mud They never told you 
Of the bodies drenched in blood The tale they sold Was you should do all you could All the posters told you You should do all you could So volunteer And so it goes And so it goes Another century And so it goes and so it goes, only heaven knows It was meant to be the war to end all wars They never told you When you fought for king and crown they never told you that the guns would mow you down, men would grow no old. There'd be tears in every town for the unknown soldier. There'd be tears in every town, come fall. Never told you about no man's land, they never told you that when it all got out of hand, there'd be no one for you to help you understand. No caring shoulder to help you understand it all. So it goes, and so it goes Another century, and so it goes And so it goes, only heaven knows It was meant to be the war to end all wars never told you just what it would be like they never told you when they sent you there to fight they only told you you'd be home by Christmas time with arms to hold you you'd be home by Christmas time Well, I think after that song, all that remains, Jack, is for me to thank you very much for your time today, mm-hmm. the cup of coffee, and, uh, <laughs> and the brain, always out hail. I'm just hoping I remember to put the top up on me car. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, it does get noisy in here when it, uh, yeah, yeah. When it rains, but it was beautiful when you came, on the cloud in the sky. No, I know, well... That's why I said we're going to, we're going to the conservatory, it's lovely. What's that song? Always take the sunshine with you, <laughs> which is what I did today. Thank you very much, Jack Whittam. You're welcome. Uh, ex-footballer, present singer, football scout, family man, you, you name it, you've done it. Thanks, Jack, I appreciate that. Well, thank you.
You'll be home by Christmas time with arms to hold You'll be home by Christmas time next year You've just been listening to another excellent podcast from Urban Tiger Radio, sponsored by Cybermouse Multimedia. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, don't forget to click the little heart button on your way out and let everyone else know that you like it. So, once again, that's a goodbye from me and a... from now. Bye.